You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Todd Wicks. This is the WFHB Local News for Tuesday, October 12, 2021. Later in the program, we will broadcast an excerpt from our public affairs program, Bring It On, Indiana's only weekly radio program committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Hosts Clarence Boone and William Hosea speak with State Representative Reagan Hatcher, a Democrat from Gary, Indiana, about her father. She is one of the three daughters of Richard Gordon Hatcher, the five-term mayor of Gary, Indiana. More coming up in today's feature report. But first, your daily headlines. At the COVID-19 press conference on October 8th, Health Director Penny Cottle shared the Board of Health's goals moving forward now that Monroe County has reached a 60% vaccination rate of eligible individuals. Increasing our vaccination rate will go a long way to easing both transmission and restrictions. Our priority is getting as many people fully vaccinated as possible, and fully vaccinated means that you have completed that initial series, the one dose or the two doses, depending on which vaccine you've used. So if you're getting a booster, that has nothing to do with whether or not you're fully immunized. You are fully immunized if you've had one shot of Johnson & Johnson or your first two doses of Moderna or Pfizer. President of IU Health Brian Shockney reported that although there is a decline in cases, they are still seeing patients die from COVID-19. However, Shockney also gave an uplifting reminder that lives are being saved. I would, however, like to share one item that recently provided me with some hope and trust, and I hope it does the same for you. I was in the hospital rounding on our team members when the Beatles Here Comes the Sun song came on over the hospital uh, speaker system. Early in COVID-19, like many hospitals, we adopted the playing of that song to highlight the excitement that a COVID patient that was being discharged from home for our team as well as for the patient and their family. And in the South Central region, we have discharged over 1,800 patients that have been in our care with the primary diagnosis of COVID were admitted just for COVID. To this day, 18 months into the pandemic, I still smile every time I hear that song. It is a reminder of the resilience and small victories that we have experienced through this pandemic. President of the Monroe County Commissioners, Julie Thomas, said that the Township Assistance Fund will be available at least until the end of October, when the governor's emergency order is set to expire. She also urged residents to remain vigilant against COVID-19, even though they might be getting tired of taking all of the precautions. Um, and it is 18 months. Um, it's it's crazy to imagine that, and and I don't think at the beginning. We dreamed that we would have a a vaccine so soon, and yet here we still are. And that's tough. Um, And we can't be complacent um, 
uh, despite, you know, it's great to have these numbers on the decline, but we cannot be complacent and we cannot thank our healthcare workers enough, our essential workers enough for all they're doing. Um, and but what we can do is help them out by giving them a break and we can give them a break by by getting vaccinated and wearing our masks um, when we're out in public. All these businesses that are suffering, we can help them and, and we should be helping them, too. Um, we're tired of COVID. COVID's not done with us. I'm tired of wearing masks, but we can find a way um, out of that. The next press conference will be held on October 15th. We understand following the local news cycle can be difficult, especially with the hustle and bustle of our daily lives. In case you missed it, here's a rundown of yesterday's news. On October 7th at the Monroe County Board of Health meeting, Health Director Penny Caudle updated the board that Monroe County is now 60% vaccinated and is back in the yellow advisory category. We are officially in a yellow advisory this week. Our cases per 100,000 were 144, and our positivity rate was still under 5%. Um, so that was good news that we were officially in yellow advisory. Again, still a ways to go before we're out of that high transmission. Board member Ashley Craner followed up on Seven Oaks school compliance with the mask mandate. Caudill said that they may not be compliant at this time. The school sent home a face covering exemption form that gives parents the option to decide if their child wears a mask when participating in indoor activity that is consistent with wearing a mask. County Attorney Margie Rice outlined that they are communicating with Seven Oaks to make sure they understand that the exemption for activities that are not conducive to mask wearing are intended to be cardiovascular activities, not educational ones. Uh, we did send follow-up communication. I sent follow-up communication to Dr. Ship uh, to let him know that the board's intention with that was that it was physical or cardiovascular activity like recess or, or gymnasium activity. And we did not consider education or reading to be um, inconsistent with wearing a mask. So um, invited him to attend tonight. He chose not to. Um, and um, We'll continue to follow up and ensure that they're compliant. And if they're not, we'll, then we'll follow up. Thanks, Margie. I was just losing my words on the. Oh, that, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. So Penny and I have talked about it, and we, you know, we certainly are not trying to be um, hostile towards Seven Oaks, but we are trying to be really clear because it's been our our um, our history with them is that I don't think we always are communicating well. We don't always understand things the way that they do. And so we're just trying to be really, really clear and direct with them. But it may be wise the next time you revisit the health order to clarify that exception so that there is no confusion. The board also unanimously approved their contract with Indiana Recovery Alliance to extend the Indiana Syringe Service Program for another two years. 
The next meeting will be held on October 21st. At the October 6th meeting, the Bloomington City Council approved an ordinance which would give council members the ability to limit the duration of city council sessions to five and a half hours or after midnight. The ordinance was proposed by council member Steve Volan, who expressed concern over the council's inability to adjourn at a reasonable hour. Uh, the idea isn't about who triggers it. The idea is that we all commit to limiting our, the length of our meetings overall because it benefits no one, no one to, to go to deliberate that late. The decisions are not better that late. They can always be moved to the next day. According to Volan's explanation of the ordinance, it would take one council member to make the motion to adjourn and only one other council member to second the motion. Council member Isabel Piedmont-Smith said she supported the ordinance. Uh, I think it's, um, it's a wise move to, uh, to make it more likely that we will limit our time um, in uh, deliberation uh, in council meetings, because I do feel strongly that uh, it, the quality of our decision-making uh, declines as the evening wears on. Um, and it is also more fair to uh, city staff and to members of the public if we end in a timely manner and uh, resume any uh, remaining deliberations uh, at another point in time. President Jim Sims did not support the ordinance and commented that he believed the council was already equipped to adjourn without this new amendment. Um, I am opposed to it. I still do not see um, that this legislation is needed or necessary. Um, I don't see that it does anything that the council can do without this legislation. Um, we have different tools um, in order to end meetings. Um, and any council member, as I mentioned earlier, can uh, move to adjourn at any time. The proposal to put limitations on the length of city council meetings passed 7 to 2 to 0. The next meeting will be on October 13th. Now it's time for your feature report. Today we will broadcast an excerpt from our public affairs program, Bring It On, Indiana's only weekly radio program committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African American community. Hosts Clarence Boone and William Hosea speak with State Representative Reagan Hatcher, a Democrat from Gary, Indiana, about her father. She is one of the three daughters of Richard Gordon Hatcher, the five-term mayor of Gary. On February 16th, 2021, the Common Council of Gary voted 8-1 to to replace Columbus Day with Richard Gordon Hatcher Day. Clarence Boone and William Jose discuss with Representative Reagan Hatcher the importance of Richard Gordon Hatcher Day. They also discuss how more and more of the country disavows the murderous legacy of Christopher Columbus. We turn to hosts Clarence Boone and William Hosea for more. Representative Hatcher, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you, and thank you for having me. It's so uh, great to have you on, and uh, of course, 
I have the privilege of saying that I knew you when you were born. Uh, <laughs> our, our families are, are somewhat connected. My father delivered uh, your siblings and as well me, as you and, and you as well. Yes, I'm included in that. Now, that didn't give me any free parking in Gary, but uh, it's just something <laughs> I like to reflect on myself. Um, I noticed the vote uh, to, to sort of make this official by the city council. It was eight to one. And I, I'm thinking surely no one had any dissension to this particular legislation. No, absolutely not. And the one vote, Ron Brewer, uh, he was determined to have the day celebrated on dad's birthday, which is July 10th. Um, when the opportunity came up for Columbus Day, because the city was redoing its calendar, um, they were giving employees more days off uh, because of the financial condition in the city currently. Um, Columbus Day just seemed like a, the perfect fit to replace it, uh, to replace something like Columbus Day, something that has been always a um, uh, not a celebration in the African-American community with something like a Richard Gordon Hatcher Day. It seemed appropriate. So so he was just as adamant about changing and having a Richard Gordon Hatcher Day in Gary. It was just a difference of opinion on when it should be. I understand. And so some felt that it should have been his birthday as opposed to Columbus Day. But yet that Columbus Day is, is a befitting day, as you said, to sort of erase, if not to shed more positive light on a day such as today. Absolutely. Uh, William? Uh, hi, Reagan. Hi. Um, I just wanted to let you know, Clarence's dad didn't deliver any me or any of my siblings. <laughs> <laughs> he delivered so many kids and Gary. Yeah, he did. The, the, <laughs> so, leg- the legendary we Dr. Bum. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you if you ever felt like uh, you were growing up in your father's shadow. Um, well, I was born in 1978. And so by that time, dad had already been mayor for about 10 years. But what I got to see as a teenager, I guess, what were the things that he did after being mayor. So when he uh, stopped being mayor in 1987, I was about 10 or 11. After that, and I'm sure there were some exciting times that I missed during that, but after that, he did even things that were more amazing to me. Uh, he was the found one of the founders of a group called Trans Africa. And they traveled back and forth to South Africa and actually uh, was the group that freed Nelson Mandela and then went back to Africa and was the group to help rewrite the South African Constitution. Um, He taught at Harvard for a number of years. He taught at Oxford in England for a number of years. So I got to see all of the things that his tenure as mayor led him on to do later. Um, I never felt like I was in his shadow, never let us, and I have two younger sisters, he never let us feel that way. The All I remember, even as a kid growing up, was that he taught us that we could do anything and we could be anything. And, you know, he didn't say, hey, look at what I did. I was able to complete this. I was able to do that. He would say things like, as a woman in the new era, you all will be able to not only do all the things that I was able to do, but even more. So it was never like we were trying to get to where he was. He was always encouraging us to do more than what he did. Well, did he share his politics uh, with you and your siblings growing up? And if so, what what was that like? (laughs) Well, 
as we were growing up, of course, um, you know, we understood the Black Power Movement, the Civil Rights Movement. Um, you know, Jesse Jackson and his family lived right across the way in Chicago. And so there were a lot of uh, those kind of gatherings and, and, and things. But as we got older, the three of us are all lawyers. And so as we got older, those dinner table conversations would get pretty heated. Let me tell you, we would have some really um, interesting conversations about not just politics and Gary, but politics in America and uh, the movement in what direction politics should go and the people who should be elected and, and how those people should get elected. And so we were always on the same page. I think Rachelle, Renee, and I were always about the new way of getting there um, when dad was still kind of in those 60s civil rights movement sit-ins and marches. So it, it was a difference in tactic, I think, that we argued about most. But all of the time, we all wanted to, we were all trying to get to the same goal which is equality for everyone. Okay. You know, you know, I, uh, I, I think of just his caliber of a person and, and uh, wow, um, he was well-known throughout the country, if not around the world. And when the phone would ring, and back then it's, you know, the children are answering the phone. I'm sure you all answer the phone and it may have been somebody on the other end that you may have been reading about in some That's such uh, a funny newspaper. story about that. That's such a funny story. So I have, my best friend when I was in elementary school was at the house. And so we were at the house together and, uh, and Jesse Jackson called. And so she, she had answered the phone. She answered the phone and it's like, you know, this is Jesse Jackson or uh, can I speak to Dick Hatcher? And she was like, no, it's not. And she hung up. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was just hilarious. And, and he called back and I think, you know, she did it again or something, but it was just funny because you're absolutely right. That's exactly the kind of things that would be going on or, or we would come home from school and in our downstairs, it would be these, you know, national leaders who might have been coming through Chicago and just had to stop over and say hi to dad. So um, it was a super uh, just it was just kind of amazing. It was it was just it was weirdly normal uh, in the house to have those kind of things happen. That's a new one. Weirdly normal. <laughs> Weirdly normal. Yes. I don't know how else to describe it, but it was. It's probably a sense of uh, pinching yourself, saying, "Is this really happening?" Or, but then you were you were no doubt used to it because all around the community, at church and school, wherever, people knew your father and the significance Absolutely. of him uh, being there. Um, I I have a story that I, I love to share, okay. and I don't think I've ever shared this with you. But uh, back when he was elected mayor, it was uh, I guess the uh, election eve and. You know, the polls were beginning to close at six o'clock. And for some reason, I noticed my mother, she had a legal, yellow legal pad of paper okay. in the living room with a transistor radio. And of course, the only station was WWCA. Mm-hmm. And um, she was listening to the returns. And she okay. had begun to write out all the precincts. And she began to write totals in as the night progressed. Wow. Until then, when the race was called, Everybody in the house was shouting, jumping up and down. And then I believe people were marching down. Well, not marching, but just, they just collected in downtown yeah. on Broadway. And it's uh, we knew it was a new day. It was a new day in our city and I think surrounding communities and around the country because, uh, uh, as we read, you know, Carl Stokes in Cleveland, uh, the same uh, phenomenon was taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, what does it feel like? What did it feel like going to school? You mentioned you were in school then and, and your, your best friend in school. 
when it came to those days when you had to present on famous people, <laughs> I mean, this was e- this was an easy one for you. Before you answer that, let, let me interject real quick. Please don't tell me you went to Roosevelt. Yes, of course. They're the only two. No, no, no. Did not go to Roosevelt. No, <laughs> that is so funny though. But I did grow up in Midtown, and so um, uh, no, I went to Westside. And I'm just gonna say this too, and you know, no shade to Carl Stokes in Cleveland, but Dad was elected first, and Carl Stokes right. took office first. So I'm just gonna okay. throw that All out right. there. Okay. <laughs> we can have that first, that first. Uh, nation but um it was interesting uh going to school because like i said dad stopped being mayor when i was about 10 or 11 and so he ran again though and did not win and so um it was pretty contentious in school and i know you think about it and you're like oh you know everybody knew you and but there were different feelings about dad in the community um when dad took office in 1968 uh, two or three years later, uh, the white representatives from uh, the Maryville area, which is now Maryville, went downstate and eliminated that three-mile buffer zone, which allowed them to create the town of Maryville. And so all those white people who were in Gary when dad was elected, who did not want to live under a black mayor, because remember, he was the first black mayor of a major American city. Gary was a game changer for a number of other communities. And so they literally changed the law to have some place to go outside of the city when he became mayor. And with them, um, a number of those larger department stores left. And, you know, it's just that white flight phenomena. So, you know, when I'm 10 years old at school and, you know, you have those white teachers still, they might've left Gary, but they're still driving in to teach. You know, that it, it could it became a contentious situation, um, not just for me, but for my sisters. Now, dad was not going to let us not go to public school because, you know, he he would just take us to school. He would walk us in every day and kind of dare them to bother us at school. But um, it was it was difficult. It was difficult. And I remember always feeling um, kind of isolated you know, coming up through public schooling, Gary. Yeah. You know, that that's that's interesting. I'm still in shock that you said you went to Westside, but I understand. I forgive you. I <laughs> mean, you know, William, William's a, a grad of Westside, and, um, okay. you know, um, when your father now was mayor, I'm, no doubt he had a, a major hand to play in getting Westside built. Because Westside opened up in 1971, if I'm not mistaken, William. Yeah, it was that, that somewhere around school. there. Yeah, right around there. And uh, you know, at that time, the mayor appointed the school board. This was before mm-hmm. we did school boards here in Indiana and Gary. And so, you know, that was a big accomplishment for them to not just be able to have. And at that time, too, you know, the Gary School District was one of the most renowned in the country. And That's so, right. Um, you know, it was just an interesting time. And then they built Westside. And then in 92, of course, was the 1972 uh, Black Political Convention that was held here. So at Westside. So yeah. uh, Westside had some history with that for sure. Sometime uh, in the late 70s, then President Carter courted your dad to join his administration as a special aide. And and your father really didn't want to leave Gary. So he countered with uh, uh, an offer to work for $1 a year and remain um, 
as mayor of Gary. Of course, that mm-hmm. that didn't all work out, and then he stayed in Gary. Did he share that whole thing with uh, with your family? And what what if so? If you don't mind me asking, what was the discussion like? Well, I wasn't there for it. Um, well, I was there, but uh, I was so little. You know, I don't. I wasn't in the room for the conversation, but. Dad had this real deep, and he wasn't even from Gary. You know, dad was from Michigan City. Uh, He came to Gary after law school, after he was a lawyer. Um, And so he wasn't from here, but somehow he he just forced this deep connection to the city. And so when uh, President Carter asked him to move to Washington to work in his administration, and it was kind of like, it was a special assistant but it was for that civil rights movement and the things that were going on with civil rights in the country. Of course, President Carter was always a very liberal and progressive president when it came to uh, racial issues. So he asked dad to come and dad just, he just could not leave Gary. And that wasn't his only wonderful offer. He had uh, the offer to teach full time at Oxford, even after he wasn't married anymore, the time to teach full time at uh, Harvard, even after he wasn't married anymore. And he just could not, he went for a year for both and he just told him that's all he could give them. And he had to get back to Gary to continue, continue the work. Now, I don't know how mom felt about that. Uh, you know, she, she probably would have been happy going to Washington and, um, <laughs> and, and having that uh, kind of life, but um, dad wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. Locally produced, Bring It On airs each Monday at 6 p.m. on WFHB Community Radio. To listen to the full program, visit wfhb.org or tune in whenever you wherever or tune in wherever you listen to your podcasts. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Bring It On is produced by Clarence Boone. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Kate Young. For WFHB, I'm Todd Wicks. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. You, too, can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, please email news at WFHB.org. Stay tuned for Planetary Radio. Coming up next on WFHB. And that's it, folks. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. 
You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB local news volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB local news archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB local news. We are local, longer, 